This is The Guardian. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten! Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, a week of Premier League clubs annoyed about FA Cup replays stopping them going to Dubai over the winter break. The biggest upset at Ashton Gate, where Bristol City beat West Ham, is the Hammers' season in danger of derailing after a couple of significant injuries. Wonderful to see the man who scored the winning penalty at the World Cup final being absolutely Baltic in Blackpool, but Montiel and friends did just enough to win for Forest. Plus we'll touch on wins for Wolves, Everton and Luton amongst others. Then there's a Premier League preview. Arsenal need to get back on the horse at home to Palace. Ivan Tony returns to Brentford, but for how long? Also today we'll speak to a Reading fan about on-pitch protests against their owners. All that plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. James says, with no disrespect intended to any other pod contributors, is this the friendliest lineup possible? Get Archie on the sofa a full house of the nicest people in football. Is it too friendly? Are they too nice? Is this like Gareth Southgate? Ben Ben Fisher, welcome. Thanks, Max. Yeah, I might try and maybe I'll try and unleash my mean streak. Let, let's see how it goes. Huh. I should hope so. Uh, Robin Cowan, hello. Morning, Max. Yeah, I think we'd get beaten pretty easily, wouldn't we? You think we'd lay down? We'd wilt. Talk, Roy Keane would be talking about they need... They need someone, a midfield general, that's a bit, yeah, a bit more edge than us, probably. Wow. Wow. Arise, Sir Troy Townsend, senior, senior, MBE, MBE. You've got a bit of spice about me, Troy. You get stuck in. Yeah, but not at this time in the morning. That's the only problem. So uh, I normally do it late afternoon. Do you know what? I like having a nice time. I mean, uh, (laughs) so (laughs) let's all be friends. That's great. Uh, Let's start at Ashton Gate. Bristol City 1, West Ham 0. Ben. It's Brian Tinian again. It's, you know, it's a, what a moment for you. Yeah, no, it was great, great night. And it does feel like, I mean, Liam Manning, the, the head coach manager said afterwards that you know, it was the kind of night that just shows you what could happen here, what the sort of club is capable of. He said about the energy, the atmosphere, and it, it did feel a bit like that. I mean, a few years ago, uh, 2017, uh, had that amazing run in the Carabao Cup, beat Man United, Jose Mourinho's Manchester United, got to the semis, played Man City over two legs. And, kind of felt a little bit kind of deja vu really in terms of you know an upset at home against one of the one of the bigger teams um David Moyes seemed kind of reluctant to call it an upset given you know City are in the championship they're not sort of some league two no hopers but um yeah no a really good night and it, a great story really because the goal very early on was sort of made in Bristol uh Max O'Leary the goalkeeper come through the academy Pamers <laughs> Pamers passed it to I trying to think of someone else famous from Bristol Martin Parr and now I'm out uh oh the guy the guy who did um the little animated Nick Park he you know yeah yes he laid it off. yeah very close to me actually um yeah no and, and Max O'Leary's clearance um went uh, sort of ended up at Tommy Conway because uh Panos made a you know horrendous mistake short undercooked a back pass for for the goalkeeper Fabianski and Tommy Conway, again, who's been with the club since the age of seven, he nipped in and showed a really sort of cool head, great finish. I really like him, actually. I mean, he's still 21, but he's 
to have a really good season again after a bit of a slow start. Um, and yeah, a great night for the club. I mean, there's a couple of interesting challenges in there and maybe on another day with the advent of sort of VAR, if that was involved in in the game, maybe there could have been a couple more red cards. Obviously, Ben Rama was sent off for a just pure petulant sort of thrust into Joe Williams's nether parts. Um, but yeah, no, a really good night for the club and, and now they'll play Forest at home as well in the next round. So another opportunity to to create an upset. I think I heard, Ben, that Bristol is the biggest city in the UK or in England and Wales that's never had a side in the Premier League. Is that is that correct? Are you ready for it? Is, is it about to happen? Well, I mean, it's one of those place, clubs which not so long ago it seemed that Bristol City were seen as on a par with Brighton, certainly Brentford really, in terms of, you know, the model and where they're going and the plans for the, the stadium and all the rest of it. They've obviously renovated Ashton Gate. I think the kind of Premier League club in waiting thing has been thrown around for probably far too many years now. They need to kind of just bridge that gap to to get into the playoffs. I think that, you know, obviously the top two is sewn up. But um could be them. But then there's probably about 10, 11, 12 clubs in the championship who fancy themselves as that club this season. So, um yeah, but it's really impressive. The training ground's really, really sleek and what they've done with Ashton Gate, I think, is quite quite smart. So it does feel like if it was to take off, it would be, be a great, great, um, great story. I mean, I spent most of the time worrying that Pam Ayres isn't from Bristol. But anyway, look, we'll worry about that at some other time. For, for West Ham, Robin, look, you don't want to go out to a lower league side. They've got injuries, Pakatar as well. You know, it's huge. Kudus is away at AFCON. But, you know, they're doing well in Europe. They're doing well in the Premier League. They're probably... They're probably okay. You know, it's not a disaster. Yeah, they're sixth in the Premier League. And yet, there always is this kind of cloud yeah. over David Boyd saying, is he under pressure? As you say, it's not great to go out to a lower league side. And I feel like he does it quite a lot, uh, David Moyes. Um, I remember doing a game a few years back when he was at West Ham the first time and they lost to Wigan. Um, I'm not sure he cares much about the FA Cup. But as you said, a lot to look forward to. Um, but yeah, he seems to be perennially under pressure there is a worry though as you said that front three are missing no Bowen and Ings Ben Rama who obviously won't be available now in Cornet no goals between them this season obviously they haven't played a lot yeah. but they didn't look great did they um, yeah. so that's a slight concern I'd say I suppose that's the interesting thing Troy isn't it if you don't rotate your side ever and David Moyes doesn't if you don't rotate your attacking players then they just they are going to be rusty, right? I'm not quite sure he can label rusty against uh, Maxwell Corner. He, he looked like he just didn't want to be there full stop. It was uh, a remarkable performance from him. I, I get what Robin's saying about, you know, they'll be all right, sixth and, and the European competition. But tell me a fan, particularly of a club that um, has a little bit of history that doesn't want to get through to the last stages of the FA Cup. It's not very friendly to take on Robin like that <laughs> you want to stir things still. up yeah exactly let's get it going early doors um so i think them west ham fans will be massively massively disappointed again whatever lineup you know you look at the defense you look at their midfield there's enough there to go and take on that game and potentially win it but i don't want to disrespect bristol city because again it was you know the atmosphere the performance everything that they did how they approached the game the tempo the shutting down was everything was excellent, you know, the press, everything was excellent. So, you know, credit, it's probably not a time to to douse down on West Ham. It's probably a time to lord Bristol City. And um, I've followed young Tommy Conway's career 
ever since I did one of my sermons at Bristol City a few years ago. And um, it, uh, we are in touch and it's just lovely to see, you know, a young lad like that who's dedicated his career to trying to play for his, his, you know, to trying to get up the ladder for his hometown club, score a goal like that in such an important game. And it was a really good goal as well. So, yeah, plaudits to Bristol City and West Ham for David Moyes. You know, he's got the trying to get back in Europe and trying to win Europe. So give him the plaudits there. Um, Robin, as an Oxford United fan, were you uh, delighted for Liam Manning? It still hurts, Max. No, I, I wouldn't say. I wouldn't <laughs> no. say I was delighted. Um, I think I'm getting there, getting there to try and be pleased for him. But no. No, it's still, you know, I'm still a woman spurned. <laughs> so, no, yeah. I understand. But they, but they, they It'll just, be okay one day. They, um, yeah, I just, it, it's still, it's it's so petty, but wanting to see him not do well, <laughs> I can't help it. I can't help it, but but they deserved yeah. it. They really did. But as, as as Ben alluded to there, I mean, some of the tackles, they, I mean, they, they were up for this. And then obviously, we obviously need to mention Ben Rama's um sending off don't we did some do a similar thing that sort of you're on the floor and you push up yeah. with the studs yeah. i'm not sure how he thought he was going to get away with that do you think though if you've just been fouled mm. like there should be a sort of five second if you do something stupid in five seconds everyone can just say unless you like properly <laughs> decapitate <someone>. them <laughs> because it is it is sort of annoying you know you're in a anno- you're annoyed you've been kicked over ben Mo- moise did say actually interesting max maybe on, on the back of that afterwards that he felt the referee should have intervene quicker on the back of that initial uh, contact between Williams and, and Ben Rama to prevent any kind of afters from developing. I mean, whether in theory that is actually feasible or possible feels wishful thinking, but credit to Moyes actually after I thought he sort of took defeat on the chin. I think he only really said what he said about, you know, if there was VAR and, you know, maybe some of the challenges were a bit tasty because he was kind of prompted by journalists. I don't think he actually came in sort of looking for that, for that line at all. Um, so yeah, credit credit to him. If only Kim Milton Nielsen had dived onto David Beckham before he uh, kicked out. Uh, <laughs> uh, was it Diego Simeone? Could all be so Diego different, Simeone, couldn't yeah. it? Like uh, anyway, taking a bullet like a bodyguard. Exactly, yeah, no! exactly. Um, Pam Ayres, born in Stanford in the Vale in Oxfordshire. My apologies, I just couldn't give anyone famous from Bristol. Um, uh, speaking of Bristol, Bristol Rovers lost three one at home to Norwich. Uh, they did take the lead. Um, but James writes, uh, long-term listener, big fan here. Uh, Max's reference to Bristol's cup win uh, in yesterday's pod was surely a smart-ass joke intended to wind up us gas heads. It's bad enough that we have to put up with various reds on the panel. And I know we have only just sacked the idiot who shall not be named. But come on, I'm 20 minutes into the episode. I haven't listened to a word trying to find the email address while Al angrily stood at the station on the way home for the big game tonight. Max should be forced to say 50 Devon Whites. As penance, uh, regards James Wright. Look, I mean, maybe there isn't an, an ushering in of a new agenda for the pod, the anti-Bristol Rovers agenda. I'm so sorry. I didn't even know I did it. Um, if I can throw anyone under the bus, it is uh, Tour de Force. Asasu Obayuana, uh, who, if you listen to yesterday's pod, I was just trying to say something. I was just trying to get a word in. Uh, and, and so I just shouted Bristol at the right time. But um, those of you who loved Asasu, uh, well, we will get him back on. But yes, my heartfelt apologies to the Bristol Rovers fans. Uh, also last night, Blackpool almost uh, beat Nottingham Forest, uh, didn't they? Um, Matty says, do you think Blackpool gritted the pitch before the game tonight? Sani, <laughs> our mate Sani Radravagina, sent a brilliant tweet saying look the man who scored the winning penalty in the world cup final is now freezing his bollocks off in blackpool as it hit zero degrees 
Must be hard. Must be hard, Troy, if you've won the World Cup. You've scored the well, the, goal, the penalty that wins the World Cup. You know, I know when you cross that white line, everything goes out of your head, but <laughs> it was freezing there. It's as freezing there as what it is in here this morning, I tell you. Um, listen, yeah, you've, you've obviously, you've reached a pinnacle when you've done that. And then you play for Nottingham Forest. So, look, he's had his moment in time. You've got to approach those games in the manner as, as they are FA Cup finals. World Cup finals or anything like that. And, um, you know, that Forest side were put under tremendous amount of pressure. I really enjoyed that second half yesterday. Really enjoyed it because Blackpool, listen, it was an all right game first half. I wasn't really invested in it, but I knew that I had to do the pod. So I had to watch it and have it in the background. But the second half was, you know, from from once they, they gave the second goal away through trying to play about round the back, they absolutely pummeled Nottingham Forest and, uh, you know, 10 minutes um, stoppage time, which was basically eating into all the extra time they had. I think they were um, they were really disappointed that the whistle went at the end of, of, well, 100 minutes because, like, they were so on top and their performance was everything that, you know, that their fans deserved after coming back at, and playing um, at Forest. So, no, it was a really good game, really cold atmosphere. I'll let the other guys delve into it a little bit more. You might find that a lot with me today, Max. I mean... I think the FA Cup coverage over the last two days has been quite embarrassing considering, you know, you, yeah, you have two live games, but you don't get to watch the other games. I used to think that the FA Cup was held in such high esteem that no matter who you were a fan of, if you were involved in a replay, then, you know, you were able to watch a little bit of your team in that replay. So just like a match of the day, like a highlights show or something, Yeah, right? just, just something. But it just seems that they're trying to devalue this competition so much now that even the broadcasters don't care. Let's just get two two games on. Let let everybody watch that, and then we'll show the goal highlights with no commentary, no nothing. And I, I, I'm really disappointed with it. And I think, yeah, they're treating the FA Cup with a little bit of disdain for me. Do you think so? I mean, I sort of feel that they, they spread it out. So there's like a game. They spread it over like six days, and there's like a game almost like. Two- well, look, well, look, yeah. When you say the the initial uh so obviously when we've got the games coming up now but like i said this is a replay weekend and i know people are sorry replay midweek and i know uh, they'll probably say well we didn't have enough space for these games and that but i i just think the games have gone to a replay we know that they don't like replays and i think they're proving that they don't like replays because they won't show the replays so i just think a little highlights package would be nice you know there's a couple of good games in there. There was a couple of games where maybe there could have been shots. Bristol Rovers, I'm going to mention Bristol Rovers, even if you don't, um, were 1-0 up at, you know, at Norwich and its potential there. There's the Luton game, which obviously we'll cover in a little while, um, which it was too freezing for me to go, by the way. <laughs> um, Wolves-Brentford was a really good game. Eastleigh-Newport, there were some really good games on. And you know, just to get a little bit of highlights would have been nice. See what I could do. I'm just trying to help that yeah. that, that that listener yeah. that says, "Do you know what I mean?" Yeah. I'm trying to be that guy, Max. Yeah. It's nice to know a father's love will only stretch to a certain degree. <laughs> yeah. <so. laughs> Robin. No, I, I'll be the same. I'll be the same. <laughs> no messing about. There's I felt love so there's love. so sorry for Lucy Ward and Sam Matterface because you're thinking, <laughs> right, 90 minutes in the cold, we'll be fine, done and dusted, and then it's just, oh no. Extra time and another 10 minutes on top of that as well. Neil Critchley, the Blackpool boss, said with regards to he thought that Chris Woods' winner might have been offside. He said, in the first game we had VAR, 
that would have gone to VAR. You draw lines on the pitch and it might have been offside. How can you have VAR in the first and not the second game, which means we've gone out? The integrity of the competition has to be questioned. It might have gone to penalties and we win, but to not have VAR with the same group of players just playing on a different pitch, I can't see how that can be right. It is always a coincidence, Ben, that the losing manager wants VAR or doesn't want VAR. And when there is VAR and it goes against them, the manager doesn't want VAR. And when there isn't VAR, they do want VAR. And I just sort of think, I don't, I wouldn't mind if the FA Cup had no VAR, but like if you can have it and you have it and you don't and you don't, it's the same for both teams on the night. I don't see what the problem is. No, I'm with you really. I think it's a bit of a painful kind of almost sore loser kind of rhetoric um, that wanting to sort of keep banging on about David Moyes. He did say the other night he, he felt it should either be in the competition at every game, every ground or not at all. I do see that logic, but I kind of think, like as you say, on, on the night, the both teams are in the same situation. It's not like, you know, one of the teams has the has the the use of I and the other doesn't. Um, no, I don't, I don't see it. And again, I mean, it's a bit like Nuno was, you know, he sort of couldn't hide his total sort of disgust at the thought of playing a replay. Obviously, then they had to go the distance, as you say, in kind of interesting conditions in Blackpool. Um but on the night they're through and, you know, it's sort of job done and suddenly now you probably won't hear him sort of moaning so much about, about the replay. Obviously, it's not ideal preparation for for, for uh, Brentford. Oh, no, he said the FA Cup is so, so special after the game yesterday. So, I mean, that is that is rowing back <laughs> quite some distance, I thought. U-turn. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think, um, you know, managers who lose games are, are narky, right? That's that's nature of the beast. Martin Tyler was commentating on this game for the international coverage. I guess he must love football so much. He doesn't need the mu- what are they going to what are they what are they chucking him to do that one? I mean, I don't know if he was in a small box, you know, near his house or in his house, or if he was at the game. But you know, credit to him for that commitment to football. Um, to Molyneux, then Wolves three, Brentford two. Well, after extra time, Matthias Cunha's slightly soft penalty gave Wolves the well, the first time they took the lead in the entire tie. Um, but as you said, Troy, quite a fun game of football. Why well, come to me when I've just said to you, I haven't watched anything. Wouldn't it be nice gonna... if you'd had some highlights of this one? <laughs> <laughs> the FA, Cup, uh, the FA Cup's got a YouTube you, channel. I can't believe you've done that to me. Oh. I can't believe you've done that to me. That's okay. Um, by the, by the way, I wanted to add a little bit of value on the VAR conversation. Oh, add some value. Here we go. I'd love you to add some value. Right. Because yeah. I think you and Ben are both wrong. I do agree okay. that um, like how can you... Something that is that can define a game, and I said this a few years ago, probably on a rival pod, which we won't mention, but how can you have something that can obviously... I didn't know anyone else hired you, Troy, to be honest. But... <laughs> oh, listen, I wasn't hired. I begged. I begged. I just don't, don't see how you can have it, like like the, in the league, you can't have it for one game and not have it for the next because it's a decision-defining um, system. And so, like, you just don't bring it into the competition, full stop, no? Yeah, but then the, tri- the tricky thing is, right, that so many teams in this competition aren't set up for VAR. They just don't have the capability, right? But then you get to the semi-finals and it's, or, you know, the quarter, the semi-finals and it has VAR because Wembley does have it or you, or the, you know, the big teams are playing the quarterfinals. I wouldn't mind if it didn't have it. I just don't think it matters. I don't think, because it's well, different. It does matter. It, it, okay. it does matter. Yeah, okay. I don't think it, I don't think it's managers whinging either. I think it's managers who have probably made that point of view before even kicking a ball. 
but obviously no one no one um, talks about it. And then there's a massive decision that doesn't go their way. They've got every right to talk about it. You know, I heard so many commentators on over the weekend when there was coverage saying, um, you know, it's really good that there's no VAR today. You know, so the controversy of of the system means that it's going to have an effect somewhere along the line. And that then makes it an an unlevel competition for sure, no? No. No? (laughs) Ben Ben was going to add something. Yeah, Ben, add some value. Robin, I need you to back me up here, Robin, somewhere along the line. (laughs) No, I'm too nice. I'm too nice. I'm staying out of it. I mean, nobody likes sort of protecting or defending referees. It's not very in vogue, is it? But I almost feel a bit of sympathy for the referees, referees with this as well, in terms of, you know, one game there... They've got all the bells and whistles and next suddenly you're plunged into it and suddenly they're probably looking for that, you know, where's that helping hand or that assistance and it's, it's just not there. And I don't know how fair that is really. And it, you'd almost, you would need a referee to tell you, but I think it must be so different refereeing a game with VAR and, you know, the Stockley Park kind of assistance and all the rest of it, as opposed to just the old kind of setup of, you know, it's my decision, that's it. And there's no, there's no replays, there's no second chances. So... I did feel that a bit the other night at Bristol City West Ham. I just wonder, you know, is that fair? I don't know. We're, we're talking about the players and the managers and for the teams, but yeah, is, yeah, is it fair yeah. on the referees? They get so much stick, but you know it's difficult enough as it is. And yeah, suddenly they're sort of thrown into this almost like weird world where actually, you know, that big thing that we've been talking about and dealing with all season, that, that doesn't exist this round. But this weekend, oh yeah, it's all back. Does that mean you're creeping onto my side of thinking then, Ben? That, I, I yeah. think I've had a second win. There you go. Yeah, there you go. I've... See, I've influenced already, Max. See? No, he doesn't mean that because, you know, <laughs> if you can't have the AO in this competition, then you're saying you can't have the refs that were ref in the Premier League refing in this competition. So, uh, but I, but anyway, it was all value added, wasn't it? So, like, that's great. Um, look, Luton won 2 1 at Bolton. Um, uh, nice to see Tim Krul. Um, and uh, Bolton ran them close, didn't they? Uh, Andros assigned a. a an extension with Luton, so he doesn't have to come and stay in your spare room, Troy. So that is uh, <laughs> that's wonderful news. Birmingham beat Hull two one. Tony Mowbray's Tony Mowbray's first win as Birmingham manager came back from behind. I noticed that Billy Sharp plays for Hull. I didn't know that, and uh, John Ruddy's still playing for Birmingham. And uh, look, Newport Newport's win at Eastleigh was huge because the winners were going to play Manchester United, and so that is big. And uh, Everton won the Andros Townsend derby, um, uh, beating Crystal Palace one uh, nil. Now, the BBC report said Andre Gomez's free kick was a rare moment of quality. And I feel like Everton Palace is the most likely game to have a rare moment of quality in that both sides have got some good players, but most of the game will probably be shit. <laughs> no, but that, there that, could be a rare not, moment of quality. That's not true. That's not true. <laughs> Do you not remember? <laughs> Troy, that, that was two gates over two legs. Can you really... Well, no, 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 but I can't dispute it over those two games, I must admit. Yeah, but he's trying to indicate that it's all the time, every single time that Everton played Crystal Palace, and it's just just not true. Do you not remember the the great comeback, 2-0 down at Goodison Park and 3-2 and vibrant game and and loads of good stuff going? No, you don't remember that one either. Uh, Crystal Palace beating Everton 4-0 in the FA Cup. no. Because like a, a, a match that has a rare moment of quality needs to have some quality in it, right? So there are some games that wouldn't even have that. So it's a sort of backhanded compliment to Crystal Palace and to Everton. Nah, I'm not, I'm not having that. Anyway. Um, not, apparently it was a really poor game, apparently. So, yeah. <laughs> and um, Luton go up to Everton. So it's another Andros Townsend derby. Ah, it is. Uh, will you go to that or you haven't checked the weather? <laughs> no, I'm going to check the weather first. But I'm <laughs> that I will be there. I will be there. Um, Newport Man United... 
Tottenham City, Chelsea Villa, probably the biggest ties of the uh, of the fourth round. And we'll cover that uh, when it happens. And that'll do for part one. We'll do a Premier League preview in part two. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten. Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, now, we didn't do any Wolves-Brentford, despite being a good game, because Troy hadn't seen it. But Ben, there was a good, there was a big moment, you know, a thing that the fans love to see in this game. Yes, a heartening story, if ever there was one. A, a Wolves fan, season ticket holder, who's an under-12s referee, um, suddenly found himself sort of thrust onto uh, fourth official duties. He, um, I think he volunteered and uh, the assistant referee was injured. So he came down and, and did a turn as the fourth official um, towards the end of the game. And I, I like the fact he said that he, he needed a crash course in how to use the substitutes board, which I just thought was nice. quite an interesting image, really, just to see how that plays out. And I don't, I felt a bit sorry for him. He said he was getting bombarded by Brentford staff, which, I mean, you, you would be. Um, but I think Thomas Frank is probably the last person you want to be uh, sort of bombarded with, really. He's pretty lively at the best of times, so I can imagine it got a bit bit interesting. But um, apparently he uh, was invited into the referee's room afterwards for the usual wow. kind of post-match pleasantries. So, yeah, what a, what an occasion. The guy, uh, season ticket holder, Ross Bennett, and his son, was 11-year-old son, was in the crowd throughout, so I'm sure he had a great time at, at school the next day. Ross Bennett is... A good referee's name, isn't it? That is such a referee's name, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Um, the Apparently he said they don't ask for any credentials. So, you know, I was just thinking, like, you could really, really take the piss here. Like, with the, when they teach you how to use the board, you just, like, substitute their goalkeeper. <laughs> and, and, like, and then also he yeah. said he couldn't celebrate the Wolves winner. And I'm like, well, what? Just go for it. Just, you know, chuck it in, chuck the subs board in the air, take your top off, get on the pitch. I like the idea that he did it in Wolves' kit. He just had his, he had like an old Steve Bull shirt, you know, with Goodyear <laughs> on the front and was just like, well, this is, this is just what I went to the game in. But I like the fact, you know, it's like, is there a pilot on board and then someone just sticks their hand up, uh, you know? Exactly. So who knows? But I know it's a good story. Anyway, like Arsenal play Palace. Um, they were top not too long ago. They're now fourth, five points off Liverpool, can't score goals. Um, it, it feels crucial, Troy, that they win this game. I think it's crucial from both sides. Um, Roy Hodgson's coming in for quite a, a lot of stick lately and would have done, you know, with the club going out of the FA Cup last night. And I think for Mikel Arteta, they need to get back on track really, really quickly. Um, it, 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 it's quite surprising. For me, it's quite surprising because when they did hit the top, I thought, Wow, they're doing it again, you know. They're 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 showing their worth. They're proving that they're a really top side. And I'm not saying that defeats don't mean that you're not a top side. But from hitting the top, they're now five points behind Liverpool and City are gaining traction as well. And you know, Spurs and Villa are still in and around them. So it's a pressure game. It's it's a game that they normally they normally win over the last few years. Although there has been Palace have gone there a couple of times and nicked a draw and nick and nick well not nicked they've drawn and, and won there but I think the fans will feel the pressure as well if Palace start well and I mean in terms of you know not conceding goals in the first 15 or so minutes apply a little bit of pressure um, it could be a really difficult fixture it's the early one as well which sometimes throws up some some results doesn't it so 
I think Arteta will be feeling the pressure a little bit just because of the other results that are going on around them and the fact that they've, you know, they've been knocked off their perch and, you know, are now in the mix, really. And I don't know what's going wrong. Uh, uh, you know, the forward line should have enough about it to put the ball in the back of the net on a consistent basis. They do create a lot of chances. But players lack confidence at times. And I think what, what's happened here is that at the same time, the, the forward players that Arsenal have are lacking a little bit of confidence. Um, Saka looks, I mean, for, for a lad that age, the amount of games that he's played and the times that he's kept on the pitch when maybe he does need a breather, I think they need to find a way to, to, to give him a little bit of a rest so that he can, it can spark again somewhere along the line. So this is an interesting fixture, although I do believe Arsenal will win it just because of, um, I don't know, I'm not sure Roy's got long left, let's put it that way. I mean, I hope all the Palace fans come dressed as Salt Bay. That's what I think. Yeah, <laughs> that would be good. Oh, he's going to be asked about that today, isn't he? And I can't bear it. Oh. I can't bear. It. He's going to be asked about it in a press conference today, and I actually don't want. I don't want to hear his answer. <laughs> I don't want to hear the question. <laughs> it's going to be so awful. Uh, I mean, it can't be as bad as the original video, but yeah. Oh, I think his position might be untenable. Wow. Yeah. No, I. I mean, I. I agree with you. I enjoyed the instant regret. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Brentford Forest, uh, the return of Ivan Tony. Uh, Brentford are playing it quite low key. With the, they tweeted out a, it's a picture saying the return. Um, and look, Ben, they need an immediate impact from him, don't they? Yeah, they do. And uh, I think you know they need him, and he he needs them. I mean, I, I think it's interesting that the messaging in the last couple of weeks is. It's sort of been a bit bit mixed from Tony. You know, at first it was very much, you know, I'm grateful to, to Brentford, um, obviously throughout the period, support all the rest of it. Um, and then since then, I believe the interview was last week and it sort of aired this week where he's sort of saying, you know, I could move this month. You know, I want to play for a top club. I just thought, I, don't, I felt a little bit uncomfortable with that. Um, maybe he's just stating the, the truth and reality, but I feel like, he does owe it to Brentford to, to stick out this season, kind of regardless. And I know, you know Brentford are in a bit of an awkward spot, really, where I'm not saying they're going to go down, but they're not as comfortable at this stage as they have been in other years. So that they do very much need somebody to to win them games, to score them goals. And obviously, he's he's prime candidate for that. I think it will be really interesting to see what Ivan Tony we, we see. Obviously, he's adamant he's going to be sort of bigger and better than ever. Um... And, and that may well be the case. He's obviously done loads of work. He's been scoring endless hat-tricks for the under-23s, under-21s. But that's obviously, a, you know, a, a different game. So, yeah, it'd be interesting what, what Ivan Tony we see and then obviously the implications for can he, if he plays well, scores goals, can he then uh, maybe get back in the England fold? Does he start, Ben? I think so, yeah. Think they'll throw, yeah, Robin, you're saying, so. yeah, and they throw him in straight away. I think the position that they're in, they're not they're, they're three points off the relegation zone and... And as Ben was saying, like he, yeah. he's not been injured. He's he's fit, maybe not like Premier League match fit, but he's also you'll know Troy. He's immensely confident, mm. isn't he? He's you know no doubting in his own yeah, ability. Yeah. So I, I think I think they'll they'll put him in straight away. Yeah, and actually, if they get a penalty, you want him on the pitch, right? Like even if you can't move, as we established, I think a few pods ago, perhaps he's just eaten for this whole time, and he'll be enormous. <laughs> That's what we're really hoping for. Um, uh, Sergio Reguilón's joined Brentford from Spurs on loan, uh, which seems quite sensible given Rico Henry's been out and Rico Henry's been a big loss for them. Um, while we're on Forest, um, they've signed 42 players since promotion. 
Um, and, you know, along with Everton, uh, the Premier League said that both of those sides have each confirmed that they're in breach of the league's profitability and sustainability rules. That's the Premier League's version of FFP. It added, this is as a result of sustaining losses above the permitted thresholds for the assessment period ending season 22-23, which I think is £105 million. The clubs now have 14 days to submit their formal responses. Um, The hearings must be concluded within 12 weeks. Appeal hearings must be held before the 24th of May, um, and it must all be resolved before the 1st of June. And now that is interesting because that is after the Premier League has finished. So you could envisage a position where Forrest and Everton have had deductions that may have sent them down and then they resolve it on the 1st of June and then they stay up again. I mean, it is an absolute, it's a total minefield. You watched the whole uh, DCMS thing with uh, Richard Masters, Ben, didn't you? Was it nice and was it fun? Yes, I treated myself to that on first thing on Tuesday morning. Uh, Richard Masters and Rick Perry, the EFL chair were there. I did find it kind of mildly amusing. They kind of sat there like naughty school children, you know, kind of within inches of each other, but clearly kind of sort of semi-despising each other at the same time. They, I think it took about an hour and a half for them until they, they both admitted like, okay, we, we do agree on this point. You know, there's, there's so much um, differences of opinion but between the two, between the Premier League and the EFL. I, I think in terms of the, the charges, obviously it was put to, to Richard Masters on Tuesday at the DCMS, you know, okay, fine, with Everton and Forest, but what about Man City? What's going on? You know, why are they different? Again, Richard Masters said, you know, you're not comparing like with like. It's a a different um, set of charges, a different type of charges. Obviously, we know there's 115 of them. Um, He says there's a date for that, but, you know, can't can't share what that is. But obviously, Forest and Everton feel particularly hard done by. Um, In Forest's case, I'm not sure they can really have too many complaints. I mean... I get that a lot of it hinges on the sale of Brennan Johnson, which they're saying that because it got later in the window, they were able to recoup a bigger fee, just shy of 50 million. If they sold him earlier in the window, it would have been for less. Uh, and they're saying that the Premier League were aware of this. And, you know, th- this was almost good business by then. This was this was them trying to act uh, in the interest of, of the P&S rules. Um I don't think it is. They they know they knew the cutoff. All the clubs knew the cutoff points, and you know September is not. I think it was the end of June. You know, in September is not the end of June. So, in black and white, that that that's quite um, quite obvious. And I also feel like I spent a lot of time at Leicester last season. You know, they were relegated. In effect, I mean, you can't you can't say this for sure, but obviously they spent zero money basically, barely signed anybody. A lot was made of that. Obviously, Rogers was frustrated. But they were, in effect, relegated because they were so scared of breaching those rules. They were so scared to bring bodies in. Now, if they're playing by the rules, you know, everybody else should as well. Wolves, as we know, sold a load of players to, you know, adhere to the rules and, and not fall foul. Um, even Villa, to their credit, you know, sold a lot of academy products this season because, again, for the same reason, Brennan Johnson with being homegrown, you know, when that comes to FFP or PNS, that sort of gold dust, really. So they sold, obviously, Archer, Ramsey and others, uh, homegrown players to, to get on and sort of balance those those numbers. So I don't have loads of sympathy for Forrest. The Everton situation, they I don't know quite so much about, to be, to be brutally honest. But um, j- just as a rule, I think, you know, all of the clubs knew the cutoff points. They knew the dates. That that's kind of how it is. It will be interesting, but yeah, that cut off date, the first of June, 
is just crazy because it just means that everyone's waiting now and it's not just those clubs impacted if they don't get themselves out of trouble it'll be the clubs uh, underneath them as well uh, Bournemouth Liverpool um, no Salah uh, no Endo Trent Alexander-Arnold Sobberslai Robertson all out injured do you see them still marching on though Robin I mean marching is probably too strong a word for what they're doing but they are doing incredibly well they've only lost one game in the league this season yeah I mean I think you know they will be favourites but you know this is a very different Bournemouth side as we've seen they've just lost one in their last nine Bournemouth that was the defeat to Spurs so this is going to be a tough one for Liverpool but even so as you say you can't really see them losing it they might give up a few chances you know they don't look structurally quite as um, secure as they sometimes do but they seem to always find a way. So, um, yeah, I'd be quite surprised if they don't win. But having said that, I've seen quite a lot of Bournemouth this season. They're really, really good. Um, so um, it should be a really good game, this one, actually. And actually, that game they lost at Spurs, they they could really easily have won it, couldn't they? A bit wasteful, weren't they, that day? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Sheffield United-West Ham the other game. Um, well, there's Brighton Wolves on Monday and Sheffield United-West Ham at the weekend. Uh, West Ham linked to Calvin Phillips, like everyone else. Newcastle are... Palace are, I think everyone's waiting for the loan fee to go down. And I guess in terms of minutes on the pitch, it's Calvin Phillips versus Jordan Henderson. Or do you just think they'll both they'll both go anyway, Ben, to the Euros? Yeah, if I, my gut feeling is I think they would both go anyway. I think Southgate already... I do have a bit of sympathy for him, really, because he, I think there's actually... Um, I think it's sort of admirable in a way that he, he has these guys who he, he relies on. They have been pretty, um, you know... Uh, impressive and sort of consistent for their country. You know, Harry Maguire, obviously a lot of people say, oh, you know, he's not playing, should he be in? But invariably, you know, all of these guys really have, have performed for England. Obviously, Phillips and Henderson kind of probably fall into that bracket. <sighs> Neither have really done themselves any favours, obviously, the, the way this season's panned out. Uh, not all of their own faults, obviously. Phillips, you know, <laughs> Will Philly, he probably deserves to be playing a bit more. I do really like him. I think it's a shame what's happened since he's gone to City, because, you know, why wouldn't you join Man City, really? It was it was a step up, it was a good move, um, especially, you know, his sort of backstory. What an incredible journey for him. But yeah, he, he needs to play. But I, I, I think both would go anyway. Yeah, um, on Jordan Henderson, we talked about it a bit yesterday. Um, lots have been written about it uh, and sort of what a terrible move it's been for him and his reputation. Michael says, uh, now that Jordan Henderson's moving to Ajax, how long until he's on Eric Ten Hag's radar? It's a good question, Ben. Uh, what impact will Jordan Henderson have transforming the game over in the Netherlands? Uh, uh, so uh, anyway, be interesting to see how he gets on at Ajax. And that'll do for part two. In part three, we'll begin talking about the problems at Reading. Hast du genug von Werbung, die deine Comedy-Podcast-Party zum Absturz bringt? Gute Nachrichten. Werbefreies Hören bei Amazon Music ist in deiner Prime-Mitgliedschaft enthalten. Geh einfach zu amazon.de slash comedypodcasts, um keine neuen Folgen mehr zu verpassen. Genieße als Prime-Mitglied tausende Acast-Podcasts ohne Werbung. Einige Podcasts enthalten möglicherweise Werbung. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, let's talk about Reading then and uh, their ownership under Dai Yong. Um, an email, we've had loads of emails about it. David says, any chance of a proper in-depth analysis of what's happening to Reading FC? I appreciate that in the football world, we're regarded with general disinterest, but there is an interesting point for the panel to consider about foreign ownership. The fans feel largely that there's nothing they can do and the pitch invasion today was a reflection. The owners based in China 
appears to have no interest in the club. Staff have not been paid. The EFL seems unwilling to solve the problem beyond more fines and points deductions, which just makes the situation worse. At the very least, please don't make it a throwaway one-liner. Regards, um, David. Uh, let's talk to Neil Reese from the Fan Action Group. Sell before we die. Um, Neil, thanks so much for your time. No, thank you very much. I don't know if you were... Were you on the pitch at, uh, against Port Vale, Neil? I, I wasn't. Uh, our group uh, was supposed to go on at the end of the game. Right. Uh, but as with most fan emotion, you, you can't control what what, uh, what happens in real time. So, uh, yeah, the, the the fans that went on the pitch did that of, the, of their own free will. And uh, here we are talking about the results of that. Yeah. So in many ways, it... it... Because, you know, it, in fact, I said on the radio the next day, oh, look, we can't condone that. And Barry actually picked me up and said, well, why not? Like, what else What else can you do? Like, do you feel, you know, since then, the EFL have released a statement imploring Dai Young to fund the club adequately or make immediate arrangements to sell? Um, the chief executive, Dai Young Pang of, of Reading, said, we're still talking to people. I asked for our fans to be patient. Uh, um, and he said, "Mr. Dyer is one hundred percent willing to sell the clubs." So do you feel like that was a, it? Was good that you guys did it? Yes. Ultimately, the the, the reward is is this is, is the exposure that we we've now got. Uh, beforehand, you know, we've tried tennis balls, we've tried marching from the town to the stadium. Uh, you know, we, we've tried numerous things to get to get noticed uh, for the owner to, to to notice what we're trying to achieve. And it's it's you know it's 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 worked to a point, but we didn't want a pitch invasion. No one really knew what the outcome would be of a pitch invasion. Um, but it's come to this, where the story has now gone worldwide, and it, it's it's now getting some traction. Where the owner has has noticed, we had a statement yesterday from the club saying that uh, they are looking to dispose of the club at the earliest notice, which is something, but it's just empty words until something happens. And he's had so many chances to act and, and hasn't done so on every level, whether it's financial or selling the club. Give us an idea of, you know, what has happened to the club since he took over. Oh, wow. So he's had the club since uh, after our playoff final defeat against Huddersfield in 2017. Since then, he has racked up numerous offences basic ones you could say of like over over inflating contracts for players not selling players when they were at peak value contracts that were premier league level for some players that that barely deserved it stripping the captaincy from the cl- uh, from the club captain then you start to get into profit and sustainability Points deductions. We've had more points taken off us through Dai Yong than any other club has in that time period. Uh, redundancies, no catering now. So it, it, it's there's so much. There's so much wrong. You, you couldn't make it up. You couldn't run a football simulator and and come up with the amount of stuff that he's managed to foul up. I suspect, I suspect as fans, you're just sitting there going, why, why buy the thing? Like, what's the motivation? What, you know, people who understand what it's like to, su- to, to support a club of Reading size. So it's modest, but it's not a tiny club. You know, why, why would you possibly get involved with it? Do you think he thought he could make loads of money? I think so. He, he, he shot for the, for the Premier League and, and didn't get there, but he never had a business plan 
he may be a businessman, but he doesn't know how football works. He surrounded himself with agents like Kia Jarabchen to to get in players, but with no no defined plan at all. It was just scattergun. Uh, so when he just kept throwing money at it, it was just like a you know a kid at Christmas. You know, he just kept going and going and going, but didn't think about any consequence. Neil, this is what I don't understand, and there is a fit and proper test, isn't there? Whatever that means. Uh, from so, who do you, who do you blame for this? Do you blame the league for allowing it to happen, or do you just blame the owner for, like you just said, he didn't even have a proper business plan? So, how can he take over a football club without a proper business plan, and how can that be passed by the football league? This is one of the big mysteries. It's you know the EFL acted like a like an owner of a house. He gave the keys to the to the tenant, and he just trashed the place. And now the EFL can't do anything. They can't they can't take the club back. They they can they can you know give him permission, but they can't revoke it. So we're kind of stuck with with you know how how did he get in in the first place? He's had dealings with other clubs that don't even exist now. Um, the warning signs were all there, but they were just never really heeded enough. And he, I think he just showed that he had enough capital at the time to invest, but that was before China shut down and started to, you know, totally divest their, their interest in, in football across the, the, the world. So, yeah, we're, we're kind of, you know, gone through a trapdoor now and there's, there's no way back up. And uh, not in a, in an easy, tangible sense that we can recognise. How grave is the situation? Like, how how worried are you about Reading going ceasing to exist? Easily, easily. He already is is at the point where he, uh, we don't know whether he's going to pay the staff and players m- month on month. Uh, he, he's already, you know, he, he's canny to a point where he knows he can pay the players we won't get a deduction in points because he's paying the players but he'll forego paying hmrc and he'll string that out for as long as possible we've had you know numerous attempts to to wind us up and then he pays the money and you know it's it's just a situation where he he knows that he can do so much but chooses not to anymore his interest is is that little and so we we want him to sell the club when he's barely got an interest in running it as a going concern. So we've got no faith in him t- to do what he should be doing. So yeah, the end of the season could be the last at the moment. In that statement that you mentioned, uh, uh, Reading said, Mr. Dyer has agreed that he will look to sell the club at the earliest opportunity. He's engaged lawyers to assist in the disposal. As you say, it's the wrong choice of words, isn't it? Um, the EFL are fully engaged in the process. And they are being kept informed on a regular basis, committed to supporting the club in finding the appropriate solutions as quickly as possible. We ask in conclusion for our fans to keep faith in the club and to know that the owners are making every effort to finalise its sale at the earliest opportunity. Uh, In return, the owners commit to communicating substantive developments when they are able to do so. Um, Robin? I just wanted to ask, Neil, can you remember the sort of feeling around the club, the fans, when he took over all those years ago? Like, was it sort of a feeling of hope? And also just generally what do you think can be done to sort of prevent this situation happening time and time again for clubs? Because I actually don't know what, what could be could be done when, especially when sort of certain clubs are in real dire situations and fans are just desperate for anyone, anyone to come in, even if it's, you know, someone a bit nefarious or has a bit of a past because it will save their club. It's, it's, it's such a tricky thing to sort of unpick. 
Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. It's, I think at the, the start, much like you know any team that sees players coming through the door, you get excited about that. You you don't you don't think anything to the opposite where you kind of think, hang on, we've got to pay for this at some point, or we're going to have to balance this with sales. You don't think that way. You just think good signings equals better team equals better future. But we soon found out that it was just unfounded. It just didn't work. He he, As I said before, he didn't sell players when they had value. We've let players go for free that, you know, are, are very decent championship players now or even higher. It is a cautionary tale that if you do get a bad owner, you can't convince them otherwise because we're just fans. We haven't got a voice. We haven't got a voice at that level to say, hang on, do you really realise what you're doing here, what this means to people, what the heritage is of this club? And he doesn't, he can't. And, you know, we do expect these things of owners, but in reality, it doesn't exist. They are business people. We we value our clubs with our hearts, you know, outside of our pets and our family. This is This is us. This is what we fight for. And this is why our pressure group exists. I was just going to say, I do have a sort of tinge of sympathy for the EFL in the sense, Neil, that obviously when he came in, as you say, he spent, I think, upwards of 250, maybe 300 million. Obviously, the, the training grounds are, should be a, a really incredible facility. Obviously, as you say, just shot for the moon, you know, spent far too much on players, whether they're the right players, big wages, all the rest of it. And as you say now, he's just totally checked out. Um and obviously to, to the detriment of, of the club and, and the community. But it's a hard one, isn't it? Because I think when I've spoken to the EFL before, they've sort of said, you know, good owners can become bad. And that seemingly, it, at one point, it wasn't quite so bad when he was sort of ploughing money in, his, as you say, sort of trying to achieve the dream, the big dream, the big sort of, you know, Premier League carrot. And then as soon as that obviously didn't become a possibility and he's like hang on a minute I've spent all of this money and it's not come off and and it's just gone south so so quickly it's I don't know it's it's a hard one isn't it because it, as you say I know I know he has the history of dissolving the two clubs one in Belgium one in one in China but and obviously that they tried to buy Hull although I think there's a suggestion that the consortium a couple of the members of that um were part of the reason that that, that fell down through the Premier League's fit and proper test but even still, so you, I, I get it. You can obviously make the argument that you know why was this guy anywhere near a football club? Totally see that, and I think it's a really valid question. But he has also spent loads of money, albeit very badly. And what you know, what do you do when somebody just lo- loses interest? Interest totally. I mean, Wayne's is probably underselling it, isn't it? Because it's the guy is is checked out, as you say. He's having to be sort of coerced into paying regular bills. And I guess Neil. It's an argument for the regulator, isn't it? That, that that now no one has any power to make him sell. Like that's up to him, right? You can you can pressure him, you can invade the pitch, but actually, like, can the EFL force him? Can anyone force him to sell? No. The short answer: the EFL. Uh, the only thing the EFL could do, and it's a stretch, is to um, disqualify him as a director. The caveat to that is. Once he is disqualified, if it comes to it, he's got then 28 days as a minimum to divest his interest in the club. 
he's had four or five months to do that already and he's still not managed it so 28 days is not really realistic to say hey are you going to do this or not he's not really going to start to jump into gear if he's disqualified as an owner he's more likely to rail against that and at which point we would be um disallowed to be in the competition there we go no more club. Oh man, I feel for, I just feel for you so much because it's just you're so beholden to, you know, your club can have a good owner or a bad owner. There's absolutely nothing you can do. I, I mean, what can other fans do? Like you know, most people I presume most people listening to this podcast support a football team. Like they love football. Is there anything they can do to help? Yeah, absolutely. And in in fairness, since the uh, pitch invasion, the Port Vale fans were absolutely excellent they've been through you know similar troubles um they were fantastic with us as has many other clubs that have um you know got in touch with us recently uh they all see how easy this could be for it to be their club as you say you know a dodgy owner can be can be sought through no fault of anyone, they can they can get into a position if they show the right credentials, but they can turn bad. Um, our website, sellbeforewedie.co.uk, has a crowdfunder, and that will enable our next steps to to go through with um, the plans that we've got ahead. To you know, if it comes to it, we have to embarrass die further, and um, there's there's plans that we, we've we've got that. We we need funding for to go forward, to to ensure that we're giving us the best chance of survival. Because if you know if if we don't, then the club will go. Um, it, it's it is as simple as that. It it could be a matter of months before it happens, and and that's that's just un, unbearable thinking. Really, you have our sympathies. Like we all, you know, we all support teams. I don't know, like. Three of us are lower league fans, you know. Yeah. Exactly. Troy just supports whoever, you know, whoever Andros is cutting inside for. But, you know, most of us, uh, like we know, like uh, Cambridge have been badly run in the past and I'm really lucky that they're really well run now, but you never know how long it's going to last for. Um, we'll definitely like tweet out that information or certainly I will. Um, uh, um, and thanks for coming on. Let's keep in touch. Cheers. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, Neil Reese from Cell uh, uh, Before We Die. And that'll do for today. Uh, thank you, Ben. Cheers, Max. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Max. Cheers, Troy. Always a pleasure, Max. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Christian Bennett. This is The Guardian.